Well, good morning. This is a much different experience. We've been used to looking at either an empty crowd or we even had a pair of pants blocking the light over here um, in the entryway. It was quite, quite an interesting experience um, preaching that like that, trying to talk to people uh, that weren't there in front of us. Uh, but we are so glad uh, to see faces uh, this morning. But before we get started, um, we're, we're scattered in multiple areas. We are, we are here in this room. We may, uh, we may have some of the overflow. I know this room is full, uh, and we've got people online. So we just want to acknowledge you, welcome you. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Um, and we're unified as a church, and we want you to feel welcome uh, however you're joining us. I hear there's some from the beach joining us. <laughs> uh, there's some probably other places. There's some in their homes, uh, maybe eating waffles and in their pajamas. And, uh, and, and then we've got some here in person and so glad, so glad that we can see you. Um, and if you need anything, um, if you're online, press that, uh, that prayer button. We have a, a, an online connect card at fbcob.info for you uh, to get a, get a hold of us. But before we really get into it, we're in a crazy time right now. Uh, we, we've had this coronavirus situation going on. Uh, we've had all of the injustices that we see uh, through the news, um, and I don't really know how we should respond to that, if I'm honest. Uh, there, there's a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of feelings uh, that, that each of us may have about what's going on, but what I do know is that we can go to the Lord in prayer and pray for those families, pray for those that have been affected by all of this. Um, I think uh, with being in quarantine so long and then having all this happen all at the same time has, been, uh, has taken quite a toll on our country. And uh, so I just want to spend just a minute, just a minute this morning uh, for you to be able to pray. Um, pray for wisdom. Pray to God for wisdom on how you should respond personally. Pray for God on direction and discernment of how we as a church should respond to anything that's going on. And uh, I, I just don't want us to overlook and pretend this morning like there's not something crazy out there going on in the world. I want us to be able to take some time and pray for that. So if you will, take just a minute, uh, pray there in your seats, pray at your home, wherever you are, um, and then I'll, I'll close us in prayer in just a minute. Father, I come to you right now, not knowing exactly what to say or what to pray for, but knowing that you have all the answers. Father, knowing that you are still in control, even though at times it feels like you're not. At times we, we may question that in our own lives. And Father, I pray that as we work our way through these times, through this coronavirus, through uh, riots and vandalism and uh, race uh, problems that we have in our country and how all of that's being brought to light right now, Father, I pray that we would respond the correct way, that we would respond in a way that represents you and in a way um, that, that glorifies you. So I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would watch over us, watch over the things that we say, the things that we type online, the things, um, the way that we react to people. And, and pray, Lord, that you would give us discernment on how we should follow you best during this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. So I was talking to Charlie about all of this coronavirus situation, and he said that none of us yet have preached about the church. I mean, obviously the church has, in these past couple of months, have gone through a huge shift. What is the church supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? What is the church? Is the church this building and this red carpet or green carpet somewhere else or whatever carpet you may prefer? You know, is the church the pews? Is the church this room or is the church, you know, another room on campus? What is the church? And that's one thing that um, has really challenged me to think about. What are we going to talk about? What are we, how are we going to respond on those other times of the week when we're not here at church? And I really thought about it because obviously we haven't been here in this location for quite a while. Um, and so uh, I've learned over the past 26 years of being a Christian that our mindset, our mindset should be focused outside of these walls. It should be focused on what do we do when we leave here. Um, and I try to relay that as much as possible when I teach, when I get a, ch- a chance to teach, a chance to preach. But I'm hoping that today, uh, today will help us know how we should be responding in these crazy times. And I've titled the message Beyond the 52 and, and talking about what does it look like to be the church during the times when we're not here on Sunday mornings. We meet here 52 times a year on Sunday mornings. What are those other times? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to go out into the world and continue to be the church and to be a light? Jesus calls every believer to take the gospel out of the building and into the world, both locally and globally. And I came across something this week that really speaks to the heart of the message today. Someone who I've looked up to and someone um, who I've known for a long time, Bobby McGraw, posted a quote uh, from a pastor in Canada named Kerry Newoff, a really great guy. Uh, and he said this, and I want you to really listen into this. He said, The future of the church will be filled with Christians who realize they're called to make disciples not just be disciples. So the future of the church will be filled with Christians who realize they're called to make disciples, not just be disciples. I hope you understand what's meant by that, that you, the church, whether you're here in this building or whether you're at home or whether you're on the beach enjoying the sun, you are called to make disciples. You're not called to just be here. You're not called to just fill a pew or, or uh, so that we can count a number on a piece of paper. You're called to make disciples. The church today, we're being challenged in every way. Society wants to break us apart. A disease has shut many ministries down and has torn us apart, and it's changed the way that we work, the way that we um, work as a church, the way, you know, it changed everything upside down. We can't even come together. Social media is skewing our culture. It's pitting us against one another, including the people in our churches. And there's less and less reasons for us to be here. There's less and less reasons for us to come together and meet as a church. And being active in a church, I would say these days, isn't something that's expected anymore. Even when I was a kid, not too long ago, I'm starting to get some gray hairs, uh, starting to feel it a little bit. But even when I was a kid, it was something I feel like, at least in our culture uh, here down south, is that we're expected to be at church. That's what everybody talked about, where, where you were supposed to be, where you were going um, after church, who, who did you see at church that day. You know, that was the thing that we were expected to be at church. And it's probably even less so today. It's maybe not even the accepted thing to do. Does that make sense? Are you feeling that? I'm, I'm feeling that in my life, that even today, 
It's moved from something that we're expected to do to something that's not even accepted for us to do. Hostility is surrounding Christians more and more every day. So I ask the question today, why are you here? Why are you here today? Why did you come and, and deal with all of these rules and us having to sit apart and a lot of us having to wear masks and all this other kind of stuff? Why are you here today? And I want you to examine that in your own life. Why are you here in this building? Why are you spread out in other rooms in our campus? And why have you taken time out of your vacation on the beach to watch online? Why are you here? Are you here to soak up a little Jesus and just leave happy? Or are you here to be challenged and changed by the word of God today? And leave here on fire ready to affect the lives of people around you. So today we're going to be in Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17. And we're going to look at four actions that we must take to be the church outside of Sunday mornings. So these are probably things that we should strive for daily for us to be effective as a church. And the first thing that I want to see today or show you today is that we must seek Christ. And this comes from verses 1 through 4 of Colossians 3. Let me go ahead and read that. It says, So if if, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So Paul's telling the believers here in Colossae to seek what is above. To seek what is above, where the Messiah is, and to set your minds on what is above. To set your minds on what is above, not what is here on the earth, not what is in front of us, not the problems that we deal with here, but to to look towards Christ at all times, to seek Christ. And I know we're both in person and live today, but I really have enjoyed the chat. I hope you have. And so I still wanted to sort of ask some questions. And if you're here live, you know, you can think about this um, maybe in your head. If if you want to yell across the sanctuary, I guess that's fine. Um, It may distract me, but hey, go for it, whatever. Uh, But if you're online, uh, you can answer that question in the chat. We love to still interact with each other and still uh, be together today. But the question here that I want you to think about is, what are some ways you seek Christ in your life? If we're supposed to seek Christ, if we're supposed to put our minds on things above, what are ways that you're doing that in your life today? Can you point to things in your life where you truly seek after Christ, and how do you go about doing that? If we're to be effective Christians with the message of the gospel, then we must be upwardly focused on Christ. If you're a Christian today, uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you are a new creation. So listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. So the Bible says, if you're a Christian, you are a brand new creation. And maybe today, as someone who calls yourself a Christian, this excites you. Maybe you love the fact that you have a new life. Maybe this this describes you to a T. Maybe you saw a change in your life, and you know that you know that you know that you are a new creation. You're living for Christ. But then there's maybe some that are here today. You call yourself a Christian. You look at your life today and your reality doesn't match up with this idea of a new creation. Because the truth is that we all mess up pretty regularly. If you're like me, you mess up probably every day. 
Uh, but this, isn't, this idea of a new creation doesn't seem foreign to you. Maybe you fall in that camp. If you call yourself a Christian and your desires haven't changed, your inward wants haven't changed, and your outward actions remain unchanged, I would suggest that you take a hard look at your salvation. And maybe there's some here today or watching online, even later in the future, which is a little scary that we, now this is like forever online. Um, if you call yourself a Christian or, or you don't call yourself a Christian, you're listening to this today, and you're tired of the mess that your life is in constantly. You're tired of the things that you have to deal with. You're tired of the consequences of bad decisions and, and things that are thrown your way and you don't know where to go. We want to point you to Jesus today. We want to tell you that you can seek out Christ. You can seek out a Savior. Um, and he won't fix everything right away. I think any of us that are Christians can attest to that. But he does give you someone to lean on. He is someone we can lean on. He's someone we can trust. He's someone that we can know today. So during the invitation, you'll have a chance to respond, and that's going to look a little bit different, and we'll get to that later. But um, Jesus wants the best for you. If you're not a Christian today, Jesus wants the best for you. And we ask, uh, implore you to come to Jesus. Admit that you've messed up. Believe that he can and that he will save you and commit to live for him. Make Jesus the boss of your life. That's the way that I like it explained the best. Uh, he's your Lord and he's your Savior. He saves you, but he also is your Lord. He's the one that you look to, that you lean on, and that you trust in. So first, we must seek Christ, but how do we do that? What does that look like to seek Christ? Like, you know, what does that look like? First of all, I think being in Scripture is a daily, daily and regularly is a very big part of that. God gave us an in-depth study of himself, and we call it the Bible. He's explained everything about himself that we need to know. He's explained about Jesus. He's explained about sacrifice. He's explained everything that we need to know in the Bible, and it's accessible more today than it ever has been with it being online. That's one way that we can seek Christ. How can you ignore time in God's word and expect to truly know him and to hear from him? So seek Christ by reading God's word, allowing it to speak to you. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and effective. If you'll just take the time to study, to read, and to pray, and to pray through scripture, God will speak to you through it. And it's not something that's easy to get into a habit of. Because you look at this book, especially this one, this is like a study Bible. That's a whole lot of pages. If you're like me, you don't like to read. And, and maybe there's a you that can like go through this in like a day. I know some of you can. Um, but I, I'm not really a fan of reading. So I've, I've had to make it a habit to get into God's word every day. And God has truly blessed me through that. So one way we can seek Christ is to get in God's word. But another way that we can seek Christ is to pray. Spend time in prayer with him. If you aren't used to it, it can be a really strange concept, right? Because you're kind of talking to someone that you don't see, that you're not there, that's not there in front of you. It's kind of like preaching to a camera uh, that we've been having to do. Uh, it's a little bit awkward. Uh, but I can tell you the times in my life when I've heard God the clearest was through real prayer. And those times have been at home. Those times have been uh, here in my office. Uh, before I worked here, there were times at work where I had time to pray. Uh, I specifically remember a time in one of these Sunday school classes uh, where we had a group that met for several months and prayed weekly, and it was some of the deepest prayer that I've ever had in my life, and God truly spoke to us as a group. 
So I'm not talking about maybe a 10-second prayer before you eat, although those are good. Those, you know, we should thank God for what he's given us and, and acknowledge him in all things. But I'm talking about real time in prayer, whether that's on your knees, whether that's in your bed before you go to sleep, whatever that looks like, spend some real time in prayer. And then the last way that I'll mention on how to seek Christ is to have a couple of people close to you that you can lean on, a couple of people that are accountable uh, that you are accountable to, that can walk through the Christian life together. Maybe you meet with a friend or two on a regular basis, and you talk about the Bible and you pray. And maybe sometimes when you meet, uh, you may go play golf or do whatever you do, um, and, and just do life together, families hang out together. Whatever that looks like in your life, having some close Christian friends that can speak into your life and be there when times are tough are really a great way to seek Christ, because we can hear from them we can hear how God's speaking in their life and how God can speak to us. And one thing that I know is that close relationships that are centered around Christ can help us grow closer to Jesus. So first of all, we've got to seek Christ. Not only do we need to seek Christ, we also need uh, to set our minds above. But secondly, we need to die to self. And there's, there's terms in the Christian culture uh, that are called, often taught, called like Christianese terms, kind of like Chinese, except we had Christianese. It's, it's terms that we use in Christian culture that really make not a whole lot of sense uh, for someone that's not exposed to, to the Bible, to Jesus, to, to God, and all those ideas. And this is one of those Christianese terms, and so I want to help explain it today. What's it mean to die to self? You've probably heard of that. You've probably read it in the Bible, but what's that really mean? First of all, it's much easier to say than it is to do. Uh, to die to self is, is very easy to say. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put off those desires. I'll kill those desires in my heart, but that's not an easy thing to do. And what I'm talking about here is not to live life according to your own desires, to not succumb to all of your urges and all of your wants, and even more than that. The root word in the Greek well, they made us study all these crazy languages in seminary, and Daniel's way better at this than I am. But I do know this. It, is, it comes from the word nekros, and it means to literally make dead. It's a very strong word in the Greek, and it suggests that we are to not simply suppress or control acts, evil acts, in our attitudes. We are to wipe them out completely. We are to kill them. We are to make them dead. We are to die to ourself, exterminate our old way of life. So listen to verses 5 through 11 here. In Colossians 3, it says, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. And don't remember that today, Christian. You once walked in these things when you weren't a Christian. Oftentimes, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, we sometimes forget that we used to mess up too. We used to be uh, live a messed up life. And when you see people out in the world doing things that you don't agree with and living a life that you don't agree with, know that they're lost and they're in those things just like you once were. You were once in that same position. Verse 8, But now you must also put away all the following, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander and filthy language from your mouth do not lie to one another since you have been since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator 
In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So as humans, we tend to have certain leanings in our life, and they tend to not be good things. We tend to do things in our life. We tend to respond things, respond to things in our life in not the best way. And that's part of who we are as humans. That's part of what we were born with, a sin nature. These are things, uh, when you look in here in the very first part of this uh, passage that I just read, Paul started by mentioning Im- immorality, impurity, lust, and idolatry. These are things that our society throws at us constantly through ads, uh, through commercials, through TV shows and movies. These are all things that are just thrown at us and that we're supposed to accept and we're supposed to like and we're supposed to you know, accept all of those things in our life. Satan wants to trap us. Just like in the very beginning of creation, Satan wants to trap us um, by these things. He wants to trap us with our desires, but we must deal with those things in our life. We must die to ourselves. And just a side note, out of the six sins mentioned in verse 5, I think we can all pick out the first five and we know that they're really bad, right? We know that those are things that we shouldn't be doing in our life. And we can recognize those things in our life and in other people's lives. But I think most of us, whether we know it or not, we struggle with that last one where he mentions idolatry. Because oftentimes when we think of idolatry, we think of what's in the Bible. We think of this golden calf or we think of, you know, bowing down to other gods or bowing down to other leaders, government leaders. And maybe that's not something we do. You know, we don't melt our jewelry down and and make this calf to bow down to. uh, Or at least I've never seen it done. Um, So it's not something that's just out there and and easy to see. But idolatry um, is one of the, the sins that I think can sneak up on us. One of the sins that we can fall to very easily and we don't even realize we've done it. So what in your life do you put ahead of your relationship with God? Is there something in your life that you put ahead of your relationship with God? Is it sports? Is it your own time? Is it your money and is it your work? Idols creep into our life. They steal our attention away from God and we oftentimes don't even see it. Remember in the beginning of time, Satan is described as crafty and sneaky. Idols in our life may seem small. They may seem inconsequential. Oftentimes we think nothing of it, but think today what may be an idol in your life, interfering with a relationship with God. And then Paul goes on to mention a slew of other things in the next verses. And if we are to really be effective Christians, we must die to ourselves. We must not fall into the life that frankly is much easier to live. As a Christian, there are some things that we have to say no to. There's some things that that we don't want to be associated with. And it's so much easier just to say yes. It's so much easier to say yes. But one thing that I have noticed is the more and more that you live your life towards uh, godly things in a godly way, the easier it is over time. All of these things come to us when we're born. We're born with a sin nature. I've got four little ones over there. Three of them are awake. Uh, four of them are awake. Hey, look at there. Uh, four, I've got four kids, and I've never had to teach any of them how to lie. My parents never had to teach me how to lie. I never had to teach them how to, how to argue with one another and how to argue with parents. I've never had to teach any of them how to feel anger towards another person. Right? These are things that come natural to us as humans. If you're truly a, a Christian, your life should look more and more like Jesus 
every day. You shouldn't be able to see it. You should be able to see it. Others should be able to see it in your life. And please don't think that I'm saying that you should live a perfect life, that we never mess up, because of course we do. I do all the time. It's so easy to mess up, but that's exactly why we need Jesus every single day in our life. Paul calls us to put to death our worldly nature, to put to, put to death those things in our life. I think it's something that we must find mindful, that we must be mindful of all time. Something that we've got to go through life and we've got to think of all the time. Otherwise, we fall into our worldly nature. I also have experienced my own life. The longer you choose to live a certain way, the easier it is to make that choice the next time. Whether that's good or bad. If you're heading in the wrong direction, it gets easier and easier. And if you're heading in the right direction, again, it gets easier and easier. And then in verse 11, Paul talks exactly to what's going on in our country this past week and, and even much, much longer. He says, don't divide yourself by race or by region or by social structures or by anything like that. Don't divide yourself over those things. All of us are made in the image of God. We all bear the image of our creator, and we must look through our social prejudices. We must look through the pressures that we have in our society. We must look through our personal biases. And we've got to see that every human was made in the image of Christ. And that leads into the next four verses. So not only do we seek Christ and are we supposed to die to self, but uh, verses 12 through 15 tell us to love others. To be the church outside of Sunday mornings, outside of these 52 times that we meet together a year, we must also love others. Listen to verses 12 through 15. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called, in one body control your hearts. Be thankful. Paul really lays it out pretty clear there. There's not a whole lot of explanation needed, but um, one of the questions that I want you to think of, and, and maybe you can put that in the chat if you'd like online, what are some practical ways that you could, or that you should, or that you do, what are some ways to show love to others, especially strangers? If we were called to love others as Christians, how are you doing that, or how can you do that in your own life? So do these words in this passage, verses 12 through 15, does that describe you? Are you someone that's compassionate, someone that's kind, someone that's humble, gentle, patient, accepting, forgiving, and loving? Are those things that describe you as a person? And although we can never achieve all of those qualities all the time, we can certainly try. We can try, certainly do our best to, to try to be those things in our daily lives. Please notice that each one of these words express themselves in relationships. We as humans, were built for relationships. When we, when we get to know people, we build a relationship with them. When we share Christ with people, it's going to come much easier if we have a relationship with that person. A significant measure of our Christian life is found simply in how we treat people and what the quality of those relationships are. And I can tell you from experience, these kinds of qualities in a person's life doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't happen easy, maybe for some of these. At least for me, these are things I have to be mindful of, especially at certain times and when certain things happen. Being patient and gentle uh, is, is not my nature. <laughs> it's not something that I'm great at. Uh, but it's something that I have to be mindful of. Um, 
the way I respond to others. Maybe for you, showing compassion isn't easy. Maybe for you, being humble isn't easy or being loving. But you've got to work towards that, and, and God will be there. Christ will teach you through time in his word, through time with others, and through prayer. You will be taught how to, um, how to become those things in your life. So loving others, it's a full-time job. It's something that we've got to be intentional with. It's something that can be very tough for a lot of us. But no matter how tough it may be, we must show the world who we represent, and that is Jesus Christ. If we're to live the Christian life outside of Sunday mornings, and we are to be the church outside of these walls, we've got to act differently or no one's going to take notice. We've got to act differently or no one's going to take notice. I like that Paul says here in verse 14, he says the perfect bond, love is the perfect bond of unity. And there's something that we need today in our culture, in our world, in our country, and maybe even in our own church, in our own homes. It's unity. There are things that are pulling us apart. We're being made to hate others. We're being made to, to read articles online and think negative about other people for various reasons. We blame other countries for our problems. All of these things. We, we blame others for what's going on in our homes and what's going on in our churches. And we, and we just are experiencing a lot of disunity. And I see it every day. In fact, while I was preparing for this lesson uh, I, was, I had to take a break from social media for about a day, at least, uh, because it was, just, it was just a lot to take in. There's so much going on that's, that's drawing us apart. There's so much going on. It's hard to find the joy. I think Charlie talked about last Wednesday night in the worship online, uh, the Wednesday study midweek. He talked about having joy and how he was struggling with finding joy in his own life. And all of these things are trying to take all of that away from us. But the Bible says in here, the perfect bond is unity. We need unity in our country. The tension between races seems to only thicken each and every time an injustice occurs. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be talked about, but I am saying that it's tough to understand and to deal with. We need unity in our own churches. I've seen a lot of churches uh, argue about how they should come back to church. Are they coming back too early? Are they coming back too late? Are they doing this and that wrong or right? There's a lot of disunity on how we should be responding to all of this. And even right here today, we are here in this room, we are uh, in some overflow rooms and we're online and there's a lot of disunity even amongst us today. And it's, uh, but praise God for Jesus because his love, his love demonstrates and allows for perfect unity. It'll only happen through Jesus. It's never going to happen naturally. But praise, um, and the last thing from this point uh, is the word peace. Paul mentions it in verse 15. He says, The best way that we can show love and represent Christ to people around us is to be people of peace. Do what you can to squelch arguments. Represent Christ to people around you and be a, be a person of peace. Do not speak about things that do not promote peace and unity. And just love one another like Jesus loves you. And then the very last thing, real quick, two verses... The fourth action we must take to be effective outside of these 52 weeks, 52 days, is to go and be the church. And the word in the Greek is ekklesia, the word for church. It basically is just defined as a public gathering of people. And whether that, uh, we've seen the church be here together in this building. We've seen the church gather on the mission field. We've seen the church gather even in a virtual space online. But that's what the church is, a gathering of people 
Let's read verse, uh, Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17 real quick. Let the message of the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or, do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I looked up a lot of definitions for the church. And this is what I was talking about at the very beginning. What is the church? You know, when we're separated, when we go online, what is the church? Are we still the church? Nowhere in any definition did I find, especially with the early church, uh, the word building. It had nothing to do with four walls and, and a concrete slab. It had nothing to do with pews or chairs. If we begin to think about the fact that we are the church and the church isn't a building, then we may live our life just a little bit differently. Growing up in church the way that I did, I was in church from the time I was born, uh, and I heard this idea, people would say, well, I can't do that because I'm at church, or I can't say this because I'm at church, or I can't, uh, you know, whatever, because I'm at church. And it really has made me cringe, especially lately, because the building, this building wasn't doused with holy water when it was built. It was built by just a normal crew, just like everybody else. We didn't have a bunch of a bunch of pastors in here doing sheetrock. You know, there's nothing special about this building except for the fact that we meet here and we are the church. I realize this place has a lot of sentiment. This place um, is, is special to a lot of us, but honestly, if you really think about it, there's nothing special about the building except for us, except for, for you, except for the church. And if I'm wrong about all this, then I know that there wouldn't be churches that meet in strip malls next to liquor stores. There wouldn't be churches in movie theaters where questionable movies were played the night before, right? Because those are also the church, and it has nothing to do with the building. So I hope you understand what I'm saying here is that the church is you, and the church is me. The church is the people. And according to Paul, we should be letting Jesus' message dwell within us. It should be a part of who we are. It should be what, it, what comes out of our life and comes out of our mouths when we speak. It should be the message of Jesus. We should be singing praises to the Lord as we do life. We should be thankful to God every day and think about how he blesses us. And then Paul ends this passage in saying this. He says, in whatever you do. In everything you do, not just on Sunday morning, not just in a certain building or at a certain time, he says, in whatever you do, everything you say and everything you do, do it for the Lord. Our life should be a representation of Jesus all day, every day. But do we really think that way? Do we really think of ourselves as the church? If you've ever had that thought in your life that I can't say that while I'm at church, then maybe you can't say that anytime because you are the church. If you've ever had that thought that you can't do that because I'm at church, then maybe you shouldn't be doing that because you are the church. As I was thinking through this passage and through this message, I wanted to think through a practical example on what, uh, how you could live this out in your life. And there's, how can we live the other 167 hours per week outside of these walls and still be the church, still represent Jesus? And I came across this snippet about Fred Rogers. Uh, better known as Mr. Rogers. He lived in a neighborhood, I hear. Um, <laughs> he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. You probably know all about all of that, a lot of you. He didn't limit his ministry to the confines of a building or a Sunday morning. Um, he humbly lived out his faith across the airwaves 
Thousands of children and adults watched God's love unfold through him. And it said in there, over the course of 31 years and 865 episodes, Rogers would use his neighborhood to show the world as it should be a microcosm of kindness where neighbors love and support each other through difficult times of death, divorce, and danger. It was also a space where Rogers helped viewers confront their own fear and their own prejudices, and he led them past all of these things in his own non-threatening way. When you hear it explained like that, it really sounds like the church, doesn't it? He was being the church wherever he was. To support each other in death and divorce and uncertainty. To confront the things in our lives that need a change. It's a lot about, that's a lot like what happens at church, right? Now, we won't all have a show with that kind of influence. We're not going to live our life on TV, but we can be just like him. We can live our daily lives out in that world and let people watch us and see Jesus flow through us. Contrary to pa- uh, popular belief, pastors aren't the only ones that can teach the Bible, and they're not the only ones that can pray with others. And they're not the only ones that can go to the hospital or to give godly advice. You are empowered to do that. The Bible does tell us that, that you are ministers of the gospel. These are things that we can do in our daily lives, and we don't have to hand it off to someone else that we feel is more qualified because you, as a Christian, if you're a Christian today, you're qualified to do all of those things. So go and be the church, minister to others, see how people take notice, and especially during confusing times like today, stand up for Jesus and for what's right. So the four actions that we must take, seek Christ, die to self, love others, and be the church. So we're about to close, and if the band wants to go ahead and come up, this is a time usually where we would ask you to come forward for prayer, and we usually would have ministers down front, but because of all the regulations, we, we kind of want to uh, limit contact right now. If there's something that you need to talk to one of the church members, uh, church staff about, or an encourager, uh, maybe you can meet us in, out in the parking lot, or maybe you can call us on our phones, call us in the office. There's also that connect card, that digital connect card, where you can contact us, submit prayer requests. We still want to know what's going on in your life. We want to invest in your life. We want to pray for you guys. Um, and so as we Sing this song as we close with a time of invitation or a time of reflection. Um, you know, just, just think about what God's word has spoken to you today. If you're online, there's a live prayer button. I know we have at least one host on there that can take a prayer request and talk to you if there's any questions that you have. So today, are you willing to leave here changed by the word of God? Uh, so if you'll go ahead and please stand, I'm going to close this in prayer. And... Uh, we will close in a time of worship together. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for these people. I thank you so much for the time that we have to be together, to regather together in person. And I pray, Lord, that as we think through uh, what was just talked about, as we look over the passage of Scripture that we just read again, Father, I pray that you would change things in our hearts that need to be changed. I pray, Lord, that as we go out from here, that you would reign supreme in our lives and that when we talk to people, when we interact with others, Lord, that you would be represented. And so, Father, speak to us. Change us today. Allow us to go out of these walls and be the church and allow us to come back and worship you again next week. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.